something up. Um, hello, everybody. Um, bit of a special podcast today. Um, one, because I'm not really going to be here too much, so you don't need to listen to me droll on about things. Um, so it's going to be a podcast of probably two parts. Um, the most important part is that Harry, who's here, say hello, Harry. Hello, guys. How are we? Um, is going to be speaking to Neil Yarney um, about his new drive for this year, I assume, and uh, probably past experiences um, in the Porsche Hypercar program, which they have something in common. We do. Probably the only thing we've got in common. <laughs> and he's about, yeah, yeah. He's uh, obviously a very special driver. He's been round a lot. He's raced just about everything. We're doing some fact finding on Neil stuff that I, a lot of stuff that I didn't know, and he's he's raced a lot. Anyway, just before we go on to that, do you want to know my fun fact of the week, Adam? Or yes, my fun fact we, of the Monza. We are heading towards the next round of the WC, which is going to be Monza. Um, and we are indeed. What, what is your fact, Harry? So, Monza is home to the closest race in sporting history or in motorsports history. The top five finishers, believe this or not, and it's quite hard to believe, were separated by just 0.6 seconds. And the gap between first and second was just 0.08 seconds. That's hmm. that's less than the time it takes to blink your eye. That's quite close. What race was that? It was Monza in 1967. And Jochen Rindt won from Jackie Stewart. Apologies, that was the opposite way around. Apologies, I haven't offended anyone. It was Jackie Stewart beat Jochen Rint by 0.06 seconds. And then in 1967, two years previously, Don Surtees beat Jack Brabham by 0.2 seconds. Mm. So, and yes. then I think this year, this year at, um, at Monza, Max Verstappen will probably win by about a minute. Yeah, at least. He'll win by about two weeks if he yeah, doesn't get any uh, track penalties. What was your well? That was a brick onto that. What was your opinion of those of those track the well, the farcical track limits at the weekend? I think because I watched the race late because I was out at a wedding. Funny that. Um, even <laughs> on you, Sunday, you people seem to get to, you seem to go to you seem to go to a lot of weddings. Go to a lot of weddings. <laughs> um, you must have a lot of friends. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I um, watched it delayed. And avoided the result, and then I sort of saw real time Aston Martin's first protest going in about the track limit violations, and read it and went, yeah, okay. Um, and then when the FIA upheld it and said actually, it wasn't a hundred that we were looking at; it was twelve hundred that we were looking at yeah, in the was, course of the was, race. It was quite a lot. <laughs> um, and I think Aston Martin were right because you can't pick and choose which ones you want to enforce. If you're going to enforce them, you need to enforce all of them or none of them. And I think they've also turned around and said that they may look at putting the gravel traps back in, which I think yes. were taken out for motorbikes. I'm not sure. The gravel traps were taken out for motorbikes and the sausage curbs were taken out because the FIA banned them 
um, as a result of there was a couple of incidents, wasn't it? There was the incident at Monza where the Aston Martin ended up on its roof. Yes. There was the incident at Monza where a Formula Three car ended up over the fence. Yeah. And there was the saying it's to protect the driver's spines. Yeah. But for, for, yes, I do agree with that. But for me, just go a bit slower. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, in the sprint race, nobody had any track limit violations. <laughs> so well, it, it can be done. Yeah. But yes, it, it was probably it, the, the quickest way around the track is not to use all the track, is to use a bit more of the track. But. I think the FIA are quite right that if, yes, enforce the track limits, but enforce it consistently. Yeah, I think you you almost feel for the FIA having to having to deal with that during a race. But I think for me, you'd have either the, the clever thing to do, or the thing to do would have been say to the drivers, "You break the track limits, we're going to deal with it all after the race." So where you finish might not be where you finish, or you say. 30 second penalty for every three track limits that you do, then you can guarantee would have stopped and there'd have been no track limits violations. Yeah. 1200 is 1200's farcical. It's a ridiculous amount. Appreciate, you know, appreciate Max Verstappen come out and said, uh, and said, um, drive my car, you try it, drive my car, and then see how you do. But it would just be a case of, if I was going, if you were going 170 mile an hour through that corner and you broke the track limits, say I was going like 50, I didn't break the 150, I didn't break the track limits, and you just slow down, don't you? Yeah. Yes. And you don't need the deterrence. You don't need you don't need all the, the, the arguing and hysteria that's, that's branded about about it. At, at Le Mans, the, the, the drivers knew at Le Mans, if you go over the final... If you go over that white line on the final corner, your lap's gone. Yeah. So the drivers, what didn't they do? They were all fairly well behaved in those in those last corners. That's it, and especially in qualifying as well, because uh, um, Austria, it was the lap you've done and the lap you're starting, so you lose two laps in qualifying if you go over the track limits on that final corner. Yeah, I think it's the same at Le Mans actually. If you break the track limits on the four chicanes, you lose the lap you've just done and the lap you're going to do because it's an advantage either way. So, Absolutely. So the, the, Absolutely. The racing surface is defined by the bit of black tarmac between the two white lines. <laughs> it's quite simple, really. Four wheels it? on that bit. So if, you, if you're going down the road or the motorway, you don't you stay between the white lines. Yeah. Like you're I think I'm going to drive down the, the long shoulder today. Because <laughs> it's faster. <laughs> Actually, no. That the other the other carriageway looks faster. I'm going to go over there. No. I'd love to know Rick's opinion on this because Rick will no doubt have an opinion on this. He will definitely have <laughs> an opinion on track limits. So Rick isn't actually here, dear listeners. Rick isn't. Rick isn't here. He is caught up somewhere else and is not here. We don't know where he is. We haven't heard from him for a few days now. He he might be in Belgium. <laughs> he might be in Belgium, yeah. We don't know where he is. No. So, Rick, if Rick, if you're out there listening to us, please come back. Or if anybody has any information on Rick, <laughs> on the whereabouts of Rick, <laughs> please, please do let us know. We miss him. Yeah. 
and it, it, it's it's it comes to the point where there's only so much two people can talk about without Rick. <laughs> and same with Steve. I think Steve really was done by Le Mans and he really is that cheesed off with with everything that he was. He's, he's he's he was speak to us I now. Think. Well, he was at the classics. Oh, so did, did you watch? Did you manage to watch any of the classic? No. It was. I watched a couple of the races, and what an event that looks like it is. It's supposed to be a quarter of a million people there this year. Yeah, quarter of a million people. Mm. Um, almost as big as Le Mans. As big as Le Mans on a normal year. As big as Le Mans on a normal year, yes. But that's it for another two years. The next classic is 2025. Yeah. So, yes, I think, yes, knowing what we all know about the 24, I think the the classic would be the one to go to if if you had the choice. And knowing what we know now. Yes. A quarter of a million people is nice. 325,000 people. 325 is too many. Yes, yes, and they had all the uh, in the Masters Endurance Classic. They had all the uh, the old GT1 cars. They had the up to 2015 LMPs, LMP1 cars, LMP2 cars. The Le Mans winning Bentley Speed Eight. Yep. The some of the Le Mans winning Audi. Uh, once sorry, one of the Le Mans winning Audis. The um, one of the Le Mans winning Peugeots. So yes, yes, there was a, a yeah. lot. A lot on there, and despite it, despite its name of the classic, it's got some fairly recent cars. Yeah, there's there's about twenty, thirty different races, isn't there? Yeah. It's not just it's not just one race that's like Le Mans. It's not just twenty four hours. It's many many different races across the. And I think the the um, the schedule and how they run it is is fascinating. You've got yeah, you, know, you could you could be watching the race from four o'clock till five o'clock in in the evening, watching GT, the Masters historics, and then at one o'clock in the morning you could be watching the Group C race, and then at three o'clock in the morning you could be watching pre-war, pre nineteen fifties cars and nineteen um, twenties cars the next hour. So I think the it's fascinating the way that they that they run it there. Yeah, that would mess with my head though as a photographer. I'd be like. What? I just had 10 minutes sleep and we've changed era. And of course, a lot of the drivers from the World Endurance Championship, they do attend the Classic and they do um, they do race at the Classic. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely one It's definitely one on the list. Ooh. It's definitely one on the list. All right. I'm going to drop out now. But and Neil's joined us. So, Neil, how are we? Good, good. And you? Not bad, thank you. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you no for your problem. time. No worries. How are you? Good. And you, you're in England, or where are you? We're, we're, we're based in England. Yep. Where, whereabouts are you? Are you in Switzerland? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, cool. What's, what's that? Are you joining us from home, or have you got an office? Or No, no, I'm at home. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't go. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, you're, you're incredibly busy at the minute, aren't you? Yeah, it's uh, turning out to be a very busy second half of the year now. <laughs> so, were you, were you were you expecting the the call up to Proton, or is it something that's been bubbling off in the background? No, I was with Chris already in the beginning of the year uh, in contact, um, but obviously, you know, I had a few other things to juggle around, which I didn't know well 
you know, I was also with Audi in contact. Um, obviously, uh, it's like a <laughs> job yeah. though. Um, and yeah, no, in the end, uh, it all worked out to go next to each other. So it's perfect. I think uh, something that something that me and Adam have, have just been discussing and something that we'd love to get your opinion on is what did you think of the, the track limits yesterday? I think from a from a driver's point of view, it'd be interesting to know to know what you think, and to to know how or to see how you've how how you think the FIA have dealt with it. Yeah, well, in the end, you know, this is uh, the famous uh, saga. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is two ways. No, either you go back how it was with just a gravel uh, strike there. Mm. Then the limit is the limit, or uh, you try to become very innovative, uh, and uh, whoever has a track limit loses power, or I don't know what. Like you know, I mean, in in the rental go kart, you can turn down the engine. So many people are outside on the track nowadays on single go karts. So I'm pretty sure you're able to do that uh, in Formula One as soon as you trigger a track limit. But so it's two ways: either you go old school. In a way that yeah, you also crash then, which I think is still the best because that will differ, make a, a good driver better because he has to find the limit without crashing and the bad driver finds the limit with crashing. Nowadays, yeah. everyone finds the limit without anything happening to them. So a lot of people can drive quicker than they actually are capable of. I mean, I'm not now talking Formula One, but I general. Of, of, of course, at Le Mans, you know, the last corner at Le Mans, you know, if you've done a perfect lap and it comes down to the corner after the Forge Cane, you cross that white line, you know, that's it. My lap's gone now. So I think, yeah, we, we were talking about the deterrent. What, what What is the deterrent? You lose a lap. But when you lose a lap on a circuit like Spielberg, it's perhaps not not as if you've got another another minute and then you can go for it again. Whereas I guess at Le Mans, Three and a half minutes, four minutes, depending on the class that you that, that you're in. You know, you've got in a twenty minute session, like you like your hyperpole. You know, you've got you've just wasted twenty percent of your session. Yeah, but it's it's the same thing. It's like uh, you know, playing uh, um, paintball. Yeah, you go and shoot each other on paintball. You'll always take a bigger risk than when if it's a real bullet. Yes, absolutely. It's a whole different approach. <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, what do you lose? Okay, okay, wait, then I join the next game. A real bullet, you will not join the next game. So it's a different approach. It has to be a different mindset. So it's a question of mindset, more from my point of view. It's, it's an, I've not thought of it that way before. It's an interesting way of, it's an interesting spin on that. Um, so... So yeah, so for, for for the listeners, in case you haven't, in case you've been living under a rock and you don't know who Neil Yarny is, Neil is the 2016 Le Mans winner. Neil is the wet champion of 2016, and he finished in third and uh, third in 2014 and 2015 with Porsche. Um, you've raced for Rebellion. You've raced in the A1 GP, Toro Rosso test driver, um, speedy racing. Think it's probably easier to say who you haven't raced for and who you have raced for in sports cars. So, um, yeah, 
Um, you've got quite a quite a CV. I think you may not know this, but we worked together in 2014 uh, on the Posh uh, on the Porsche program. I was part of the I was part of the development team very early on, and then in 2015 did a did a did some of the event stuff. So we we've got that tie there. Um, or the a similarity, so um, small world racing in the end. Now <laughs> it's a, a very small world. It's a, it's, a, it's a very very small world, and for such a small world, there's a there's, there's a lot of people in it. Um, you you've been you've been everywhere. I suspect a lot of the people that I worked with in, in we, we worked with in 2014, 2015, made the way to the Formula E program. Some of those people probably to 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 the new Porsche team, and some of them probably to to Formula as well. So. Um. Yeah. So, you're. We touched on it. You're starting this weekend, actually, with the nine six three on Proton. Can you give us a bit of insight into that? What you're looking forward to? What you're expecting? Um. What you? Yeah. Have you driven the nine six three yet? No. I'm, first of all, yeah. Pretty excited about this week. I mean, there's a lot of. It'll be a challenge, but you know the our approach for for this week is clearly it's a, it's a test week. Uh, unfortunately, it's a test week under real circumstance. So in one way, it's a good thing, and on the other hand, it's a bad thing because it counts immediately. But yeah, first time we're gonna all see the car. Um, Jimmy, uh, Harry, and I is uh, uh, Wednesday in, in Monza. Uh, we'll do our seat there because the Cargoff's got delivered so late again, which uh, is a bit strange because <laughs> others had it two months earlier and their purpose got more time, but it still didn't work out. So, well, anyway, it is what it is. Um, because the plan, original plan, was why uh, it was delayed is to have a test before the first race. But obviously that didn't work out as <laughs> planned. So yeah, we just go there, we you know, open-minded, try and drive the car, see where we are, um, yeah, and then and, and and see how it turns out. Uh, I mean, the good thing is, you know, we all know Monza well. Uh, it has a lot of straight lines. It's mainly about braking, and the weather looks good, super hot. So you know, at least uh, we don't have the weather circumstance there. And I think the, I guess one thing you, you, the 963 is tried and tested. It's not like it's a brand new car like the, like the 919 was. People have, people have raced the, the 963 and it's gone well. It's gone well in IMSA. I think there was, there was certainly parts of Le Mans, particularly with Jota, where the car did go really well. Um, so yes, it's not, it's not like it's a brand new car. It might be a brand new car to your guys, but it's got plenty of mileage under the belt. And like you say, we, we used to test at Monza with the 919. It was the it was the closest thing, you, other than Ricard, it was the closest thing you could get to 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 Le Mans. Um, it's not particular. I've, I've never driven a car on Monza, but it's not particularly a difficult uh, circuit to get to grips to on the same. So I want you must have, you must have done thousands and thousands of laps there. No, not thousands, but I've driven in most categories there. Last time I was there was with the RSR in 21, and I won with Kevin together. Yeah. Uh, we had a great race with the Ferrari, big battle there. Yeah, I remember um, well. And uh, so now back in a prototype there, I mean, it, most important is braking. Um, you need to be good on the brakes. Uh, I hear from the other drivers that exactly this car is not so good on the brakes, so let's see. 
Uh, I mean, we'll see. As I said, you know, we go there. The only thing we can do is win. We cannot lose anything um, because it's really just getting first laps in, get the experience. And our aim really has to be to be ready for Bahrain in a, in a state where we can say, okay, now we're going for some performance. And you've you've driven the, I believe it was the the Cadillac last year, the uh, the, the prototype, the IMSA prototype. So these cars are not exactly alien to you. You've driven the 919, you've driven the, the, the Cadillac. What, um, where does it stem the difference between the 919 and the uh, and what you're expecting from the new cars? How how do they differ? Well, as I said, I haven't driven yet uh, the LMDH cars, um, so it's it's a bit hard to to say. But from from a technological point of view, obviously the LMDH is a lot easier. Yeah, it has. Uh, more standard tools, it's less sophisticated in terms of re- regeneration, uh, recoup battery. I mean, it's a lot, yeah, it's, it's more simple, basically. Um, and from that point of view, it's for sure it helps me that I have driven the 919 because uh, it's a lot of tools also in the 963 which have been taken and just simplified or many tools are not there anymore because we recuperated uh, energy over various ways in the 919, as you remember. With it, yeah. um, now it's just through the rear axle. Um, and we could also harvest energy during the lap and deploy it differently and play around a lot as a driver. You have to be smart. When do I use boost? When do I decouple it in traffic? Or what do I do? Now this is all gone, all this playing around. Uh, it's more automated in a way that they don't even give you the option to do these things. So I do think it does get more simple from that point of view. And performance-wise, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's somewhere between an LMP2 and an LMP1, no? Uh, that's that's where it stands. I would say the current LMP2 because the old LMP2 with full power was also very quick. When you so look at the small lap times. <laughs> So in terms of the simplification, and do you, as a driver, do you prefer a complex car like the 919 was, or do you prefer a simplified, simpler car like the like the LMP2 car that you're driving? I guess it's I guess it's different challenges. Both both pose their own challenge. It's it's very different challenges. Uh, the 919 was about technology and get your way over technology, because technology was nearly more important than let's say the setup. The setup was important, but if you don't have the perfect, you know, roll bar in or whatever, then yeah, you drive around it. But if you got all your tools and boosts and everything correct, you could still make a difference. And you could see with the fights we had against the Audi, you know, was uh, even the Toyota was in different ways. We always had a quick car in, on the straight line, but not so good in the corners. Yeah, uh, but it still worked for us. Um, if you then go LMP2, like now, it's all about finding the last millimeter in the setup. And uh, I can see that with Duquesne, where, where I'm driving the LMS and also drove at Le Mans now. Um, they had a very difficult year last year, uh, but we've been working quite a bit on the setup and on the approach uh, over winter. And I mean, we have had a great season so far. LMS, uh, we're leading. Le Mans, we came third against the big teams. 
So it's, yeah, you, you fight for the millimeter there. So it's, it's a different approach. How, how does it compare to um, one, of, one of my, my old, my favorite series ever was the GT1 World Championship the series, another series you, you drove in with the, with the Ford. How does it compare with with old school stuff like the like the GT1 cars? Because the, the GT1 car was just an engine and a chassis. It wasn't a great deal in between. Well, it's like A1 GP as well was was basically in that direction. Just that you had aero. Um, to be honest, at the time I drove the GT1 World Championship. It was it was an interesting championship. It was my first real experience in a GT car, and. Uh, I mean, I didn't like the tires because they were good for two laps and afterwards you had to like nurse them. And that's something that has changed a lot compared to the past. Uh, when I started racing or let's say when I was in my mid-twenties racing, I mean, tire was, it was the difficult part to extract the whole performance out of the tire. Like your body was the limit and your mind, not necessarily the car or the tire. Nowadays, you drive a car, it's always the car, the tire, which is the limit, but never it's your body or your mind. And and uh, the GT1 car, yeah, obviously the tires just was so dominant that after lap two, you're like, okay, how do I drive it slower so I'm not stressing the tire, um, but yet still quick? So... It's a different approach, and and I like that in A1 GP. There, the tire was the tire. You just drove it. You drove it sideways. You drove it whatever. It always worked, <laughs> but you had to push it. I guess I, I remember 2015, which was my second Le Mans with Porsche, when we were doing four stints, maybe even four hours on the same tight, the same sets of tires. Certainly in certainly in 2014. We were we were quadruple stinting the tires, and it was it was it was the driver was the limitation, as you say. It was how long can the driver go for? How long how long could Brendan or how long uh, so how long could uh, could Al or how long could Nick go for? It was it was a case of however long you can go for. That's that's the, the tires not a problem. Um, it seems to have done full circle now from what you from what we see. It's the same in 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 most categories F one. You, you don't hear every single uh, other sentence that the, the commentator say or the driver says. The tire. I was looking after my tires. It was it was tire preservation mode. And I think it, in IMSA they seem to have this this seem to have maybe nailed it a bit in IMSA, but in the in, in the World Endurance Championship it seems to be it does seem to be a problem. Uh, well, not a problem, but it seems to have gone full circle where you're not triple stinting or quadruple stinting the tires anymore. You maybe double stint of the tyres or, or single stint of the tyres. But I guess, as you say, people push or people are pushing now. It's a, it is a sprint race. Yeah, but they, they try to bring tyres with which can give you more longer, longevity. Um, but at the same time, they're cutting down on the amount of tyres you can use so for environmental reasons, which is, this is all good. It's all <laughs> accepted. Um, but... I do think that you could have a tire most probably that, you know, you can just go at it, uh, slip angle wise or combined entry. Um, but yeah, why this is not like that exactly, don't ask me, but I think it's also why should they try and develop more technology into it when there is no competition? 
Um, if you remember back, uh, Formula One, Bridgestone against Michelin, because I drove those Michelin tires at the time also, uh, they got even wider the more speed you had, no? the, the contact yeah. pack changed. Things like that, then you get tires. And if you look at Alonso's onboard from the past in 05, 06, how they could turn in, it's, yeah, I think it's also a question of competition. And if you have only one tire manufacturer, they don't have to. So it's, you know, there's different aspects to it. Uh, uh, but I think the general direction of triangle use less tires, I mean, that's for sure a, a good aspect. Any, any, certainly anything that benefits the environment at the, at the moment is, 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 is great. Um, sustainable fuels. That's uh, that's a, that's another good one that the, the World Endurance Championship and uh, use and one that you used at Le Mans. Um, what, did you notice? Just out of curiosity, did you notice any difference between the sustainable fuels and the uh, and previous non-sustainable fuels? Uh, I mean, no. in the end, uh, no, maybe some smell. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when. When when we were up against Audi, you used to see the the diesel in inverted commas that those guys used, diesel that evaporated when it touched the floor. That was uh, that was interesting. Sorry, we went off on a bit of tangent there. So, um, yeah, and it only smoked at midnight. <laughs> Once it got dark. What <laughs> um, so a question that we had come in from one of the one of the members was, and I think this this was quite a popular question. What was the nine one nine Eva like to drive? And knowing you were at one point the fastest driver in the in the world, round Spa and the Nurburgring. Well, Nurburgring was Timo who did the lap. Um, me at Spa, yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, it was just a first test we did there. It was the first time the car hit the track, and what a lot of people don't realize, it was basically the same chassis, same tires than used in WEC. You know, same engine, same hybrid, everything the same, except the nose and the rear wing was changed. These were the only two things, really. Yep. And and we had the skirts on, but we had to take those off because the car had too much aero bouncing, um, so we couldn't run them. But what we did was we just used the full capacity of the engine, four-cylinder, and the full capacity of the hybrid. Um, so that was the pure power, which actually was in every WEC car. That power was always existing. So the top speed of 370, I think, or yeah, 370 end of straight in uh, Camel Straight in Spa was actually what the, even a car in, in full WEC condition would have done if we were allowed to use that amount of energy per lap. So... It was a showcase of what these cars were capable of, actually, at the time. And this, this, yeah, the, the sky was the limit, nearly, at some stage. And uh, it, it, it was a special moment to drive that car. Um, yeah, would have been good to go back there with actually proper tires, which were made to go also these 15 seconds quicker than in, <laughs> than in the past, because we had one issue that we had to drive. The, the car with the, uh, like 2.5 uh, bars of pressure to make sure the sidewalls don't crack or we don't have tire failure, so for safety reasons. So you can imagine yourself by the end of the lap always, the tire was, I mean, completely dead. Yeah. So, so we just did one lap always on the tire 
because it was it couldn't take more. So there was quite a bit of more lap time in there actually, which is a set of tires which would fit those kind of speeds um, and loads that we uh, produced. Um, nevertheless, uh, the experience was incredible. Yeah, going uh, through a rouge or exiting a rouge at three thirty. First, first sector, first sector. I think we were like nearly two seconds quicker than a Formula One car from start finish until end of uh, Camel Straight. Middle sector, we lost the two seconds again, two and a half, actually more because of the weight. The car still was over nine hundred kilos. And then last sector, we gained it back. And I think in the end, the Hamilton's lap time. I think it's like what two tenths quicker now, three tenths. That's it, yeah, I think he, he, I think he got it back, didn't he? In twenty, two thousand twenty, he got it back. Yeah, like, um, like two, three tenths or something. So you know, in the middle sector, we lost so much with with those three three bars of pressure. But it doesn't matter. It was not about showing that we can go quicker than F one. It was to showcase what these hybrid cars, these LMP one cars, actually were capable of with minor changes. I mean, we just changed the nose and the rear rear uh, wing, but the engine, the chassis, the tires were all out of whack spec. So that's why I say the cars were incredible. And I'm so happy that I was able to be part of that uh, era uh, where you had some of the most sophisticated cars in the world at that stage. I think, yes, I think, Certainly, being one of the people who had their hands on the cars, I think they were. I'd, I'd probably say at the time, those cars, the, the Audi, the Porsche, the Toyota, maybe not the Nissan, but those those three cars were were the most technically advanced cars in the world. Because in, in Formula 1, you've got the same technology in Formula 1, ERS, the, the MG UK, uh, oh, sorry, the MG UK and the MG UH, and the engine. On the, on the Le Mans cars, something people don't think about is you've got the lights, you've got the, the, the way the lights behave at night, and... Where how, how good they've got to be, all the the close cockpit, what's in the close cockpit. The front axle diff, rear axle diff, you change it drive, depending yeah. on recoup. Uh, was just, there was a lot of things, four-wheel drive, yes, as you say. Yeah, as I said, from a, you cannot compare an LMH or an LMDH car at the moment with, with the LMP1 cars. It's not comparable. I think the, the formula for the, the LMDH car is get a car out there that's affordable for people, so, so other people can can race it. It's not a it's not a factory, it's not a factory team. It doesn't have to be a factory team. I mean, we're spending three four hundred million euros a year when when the and you you can now run on a not a shoestring, but you can run on a fraction of that with the with the LMDHs. Don't get me wrong, they're still hideously expensive, and I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to fork the bill for it. But yeah, they're a lot more affordable than the and the factory cars were there. Um, yeah. What What do you think the car could have done? The nine one nine Evo could have done if you'd have had t- proper tire. Well, I say proper tires. Developed tires for that car, <laughs> or was it? Is it hard to quantify? We were thinking it can go below three forty. Uh, sorry, three forty. Uh, one minute forty. Because on the sim, we managed to go below one forty. One minute forty per lap, so we do think that was uh, actually well achievable. Um, but yeah, in the end, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it was still the quickest Porsche ever built, um, and 
you know, we had the fun and I think uh, it's also good to speculate now and on the other hand, what could have been. Uh, so it is what it is. And no, the, it was a good time. And as you say correctly, you know, the LMP1s, I mean, the cost was just incredible, but that that goes with the it being so special and sophisticated. Um, in terms of pure racing now, I think it's cool that everyone can get into the top class and try and win because obviously with Rebellion, I was for years in LMP1. They did everything and tried to be, you know, a good car, but they had no chance against the factory cars. So people like Rebellion, um, yeah, for them now would be actually a nice time. They would have a car where they can try and go and fight for the overall win. So I do think... In that way, the development is is in the right direction um, for racing, for customers, also in, in, in terms of driving in America and in WEC. This is all great news. So it's also the reason why I say it's not no need to compare the cars against each other. What was better? I think it was different. Everything had a lot of fun and had its right to be at the right time. But here, for in terms of racing and for the championship, it's great that now, you know, Jota can lead uh, Le Mans. Yeah. <laughs> They're leading Le Mans. And uh, this is the stories which also will help endurance racing again, I think, to, you know, regain the traction it lost a bit after uh, the Porsche and Audi exit in uh, 16, 17. I think it's, it's, it's good again as well to see somebody else on top, regardless of the, the circumstances. It's good to see somebody else on top it's it's not it's not a Toyota whitewash for the last 10 years or uh, however long it's been um but it's yeah it's good that the that people are challenging Toyota can come straight out of the box challenge Toyota they've got the reliability they've proved they've got the reliability they've proved they've got the speed and it's and it's good um I think just something you touched on there going back to going back to rebellion I think I'm sure everyone who's listening will 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 agree that what you guys did at Rebellion for those for those years was I was I was always a big big fan of the Rebellion uh, the Rebellion team they always used to the plucky little Brit just took it to the uh, to the sometimes to the manufacturers and there was there was, there was a few races not the one but there was a few races that you won overall obviously um, against the against the Toyotas and I think yeah what what you guys did there was 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 great we're always there or thereabouts at the end of the race and that's 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 what mattered. Um, so another interesting question that's come in um, is in 2016 you won Le Mans after Toyota broke down on the final lap now you've had a bit of t- a few years for it to sink in what was the emotions going through you on that day yeah. it's, it's, I, I was that was the first year I went to Le Mans and I was as a fan and I was stood opposite where the Toyota broke down and I couldn't believe. I was. We're probably all in the same boat around the circuit. What on earth is happening? Is is this really happening? And you see the TV shots of you and Mark bowing each other to the floor. Oh, that was uh, Roman, Mark. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Roman and Mark. What was? Yeah, I was in the what car. Yeah. To, I bet you couldn't believe it when uh, when you drove past the Toyota. You know, that day when the race started, uh, well, the day before <laughs> in that case, the Saturday, uh, Jack Yix came to me and uh, and said, you know, uh, you cannot win Le Mans. Le Mans lets you win. Because I was talking with him about 15, because 15, I was on, I, I had the lap record in uh, at Le Mans with pole position. 
started the race and immediately lost the um, the hybrid power on the back straight and lost the lead. And then we had a problem on the front axle, which happened first lap as well. So we were basically on the back foot for the whole race, uh, despite having such a good week and the lead up until that time. And we just, we never had the pace anymore in 15, the whole race, but, but we knew it, but we still somehow had to try and do something. And I, I told him there, like, let's hope this time goes better. And that's when he told me, you know, Lamont, it's either it lets you in or it doesn't happen. And that's what I thought about <laughs> when I saw it. Because the race itself was a crazy day already, you know, starting on the safety car with the full rain. Yeah. Um, we lost already like 40 seconds on the first pit stop because the nuts were stuck on the wheel somehow, all four. When does that ever happen? Never happened after all these tests. Like the, the weirdest things, yeah. And then, you know, we came back, then we lost again. And it was like always a close race with the Toyota. We lost a lot with the yellow zones. Uh, but we had, a, we had a quick car. And really, I, I was like catching, no, it was like under 20 seconds to catch. And then we had a front puncture front right uh, puncture so i had to come in 10 minutes before the end and i thought like okay well that was it now uh go back out and that's when they tell me toyota is slow keep pushing so yeah i thought mm, maybe that's that's it now le mans really wants us and and that's what i thought about it nothing else to be honest right there because yeah the year after i had the opposite no we were leading 13 laps ahead of everyone. <clears throat> we're just cruising around. Yeah. We're like driving five seconds off pace uh, with uh, Andre and Nick. And we have an engine failure. Never had an engine failure. <laughs> like, how can that happen? So it didn't want it. It didn't want to be. Yeah? Uh, so it's, yeah, I've seen Lamar from all sides now, from the lucky side, from the unlucky side. I've won a race which was not to win, and I have lost a race which was not to lose. So, yeah, I believe Jackie now, which is uh, saying, <laughs> yeah, I guess you, you can look at it from the other the, the the other side as well. The car, the fifteen car in two thousand, sorry, the nineteen car in two thousand and fifteen wasn't supposed to win. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to do everything to help you, your car win, or to help uh, Mark's car win. Um, yeah. And it was never supposed to happen. It was against the script. Yep. But that's Le Mans. Uh, that's why. You just, you have to be there. You have to make sure you don't make mistakes. You have to make sure, you know, uh, you have uh, a car which is in good shape at the correct time to make it happen. And that's why it is Le Mans, no? That's why there's the mid. That's why so many things happen there. And uh, I mean, this year was again a good show, no? I mean, with the weather and whatever happened, and it's the same thing. And I think, uh, yeah, that's that's why we love it and we hate it as drivers. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, earlier on, you mentioned Andre, um, and someone's someone else has, has posed a question. Andre seems to be one of the hardest racers on the grid. Is he the best teammate you've ever had? If not, who is the best teammate you've ever had? In the end, you know, uh, I don't think you can say there's a best or a worst teammate. 
And I was lucky enough that I got along with all my teammates. Like I had never had issues. And I think that's the base of, of every success uh, in a team. Um, and, you know, it's, as we said before, it's a small world. You know each other from many, many places. And if you have a common goal that you share, uh, generally you get along. And with most people, yeah, no, I have actually, I can't say I had a bad teammate. And best teammate, I mean, I shared along with Nico, a car, um, with Nico Prost, uh, obviously like five yeah. years, I think, or more. Um, we had a we had a great time together, you know, building up together at Rebellion. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say I have a best teammate. I think I've had with everyone my my fun moments. I was I was liked at Rebellion, Andrea Belike. He he seemed to be the the seasoned vet of the car. Did you did you learn a lot from Andrea? The Italian stallion, we called him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, Andrea was great, uh, because he was just relaxed. He's a relaxed guy. Um he once told me, you know, I, I don't want I like staying at Rebellion. I don't want a factory ride. Too much stress for me. I prefer <laughs> enjoying my life, and and that explains him well. And uh, but that's that's him, and that's the honesty he had. And I think uh, that's why, yeah, he was uh, also loved by everyone. <laughs> but speed, he had an incredible speed. Um, and and some people do forget that you know he was very quick, but the guy was ninety five kilos heavy, <laughs> or even heavier. Uh, but that doesn't help you in a in a prototype. So he he had incredible speed. But you know, when you talk to Giancarlo Fisichella or Jarno Trulli or all of these guys from the time, they say he was the man in go karts. Yeah, he was the man, and uh, they all have huge respect from him. And because they yeah they all struggled speed wise against him, so I could see that <laughs> why. There was there was Harold Primat as well. He was a he was one of the he must have been one of the older drivers. Primat he was one of the uh, the older drivers on the grid at the time as well with Rebellion. Yeah, Harold was uh, was a uh, was a fun guy. I mean, at the time at Rebellion we had a great great setup with Harold and uh, and Andrea and then me and Nico. Like was was a lot of fun. And you know, the the team owner uh, Alexander Pesci. Um, I mean, the, the love he had for endurance racing for so long, despite knowing that it's hard to win against the big teams, I mean, you need to find someone putting in that kind of money and having that passion. So, but now he's enjoying his the car and driving himself. So, you know, good on him. He's he's he is the spirit of Le Mans, isn't he? He is the, you know, he's been doing it for for this long. He's put God knows who how much money. Into the sport, waiting oh. for waiting for the prototype to trip itself, or the, the factory team to trip itself up, and hopefully he was the last man standing. But sadly, you know, it, it was it wasn't to be for 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 him and for rebellion. Which I think, yeah, I think those they always you guys always deserved a, a good result at rebellion. But yeah, um, so. A couple more, and then we'll 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 begin to wrap this up because we appreciate you busy. Um, 
you've driven Champ Car before. Um, 2006, 2005, 2006, I believe. What um, yeah. what other series would float your boat? Would you fancy? Do you fancy IndyCar? Obviously, you've done Formula E. Tell us a little bit about Formula E. But is is IndyCar? Is that something you'd you'd fancy? You know, I'm at the stage of my career. Um, I'm happy with what I drove, and um, it's not like I fancy anything specific anymore. Um, I think if I have a good environment where I like and enjoy my racing, um, I'm happy. And, uh, uh, like, you know, I would have no interest to go and race Formula One now, or to be honest, IndyCar, I, I wouldn't feel like so interested in that because I've had my time there. I've had my fun, uh, uh, to be honest, I, I like, uh, endurance racing now. I like, uh, I mean, I'm having a great time with Duquesne, to be honest, in, in LMP2. You know, small team, one-to-one conversations of what you can do. Um, just short ways of yeah communication and just go there, have fun. And no meetings taking five hours, you know, uh, <laughs> talking the same thing five times. Yep. And, and yeah, in a way... As I say, you know, I've had my five-hour meetings after each race and after each test and after each pre-practice session. Uh, yeah, uh, for in a way, uh, it's I'm happy where I am now. With, and I have, I think, a, a great combination of this P2 this year now with Chris with Proton, and uh, and then obviously the, the Audi the Audi gig will be quite interesting. Uh, I think. Yeah. So. Tell us, tell us a bit about that then. What, what, what does your role at Audi entail? So obviously, sim simulator driver, development driver. What, what? It's, a, it's an exciting, very exciting story. It's a, it's a very exciting prospect for Formula One. Audi being in Formula One. Um, what's, what's your role going to entail with that? And well, will the Red Bull affiliation still be, still be there with, with Audi? Um, I mean, the last question, I don't know yet. We'll see how, how things develop because it's only starting up. I mean, not too much I can say yet because I haven't started really. But overall, yeah, they got me because they want to bring together, you know, theoretical uh, engineering with practical drivability because you can have an engine which is good in theory, but it does, you know, you cannot drive it because of whatever power delivery or other things. So, yeah, very excited to join them on, on that journey um, because I do think that will be a very interesting one and they take they take it serious. I saw it's like a proper program they're planning. So this, yeah, it's, it's a nice addition, you know, at that stage of my career also um, because as I said, I have no, and just to be clear, because some people ask me, I have no aspirations to drive a Formula One race car. Uh, it's uh, zero. I'm I'm there to help develop now with the engine, and uh, and that's it. And next to that, I can still race in WEC and uh, IMSA or whatever. So for me, it's the combo is is absolutely uh, fascinating that I can do both together. Uh, one is still active role. The other one is a bit of a passive role, which could be maybe something interesting once my racing career stops. Uh, active part, you know, it's. It's it's an interesting uh, constellation right now. Let's see how it plays out, and in two years, I'll tell you if it was a good one or if it was a bad one. 
And the, the Sims, obviously, we, we hear a lot on the on the television about how just how technically advanced these Sims are. How will you? What can you dial into the Sim? Just tell, tell us a bit about the Sim. What can you dial into the Sim to to sort of reenact the power delivery of the car? How does it feel in the Sim? How does it? How can what you say translate to the engineering side? Um, just for those, just for those who don't know. Well, it's a bit hard for me to say right now because I have not driven the Audi Sim yet. So you know, this whole the whole work will only start, and how we will develop uh, certain ways and so on. This, I think, it's, it will be a process of finding. Uh, in, in if I take what I did on the Porsche Sim or on other Sims. I mean, there's a lot of things you can calculate, you know, in terms of drivability, how's the power pickup, the power curve, but also, you know, nowadays with recharging your battery, same thing for the LMDH when you go to Monza, you need to know how much recuperation will you have, how do you deploy um, the various energy uh, efficiency um, strategies. This is all quite accurate nowadays on the sim because these cars have so much software in yeah uh, and and that's why the sim becomes so relevant because cars are software driven nowadays uh unlike a, a jackie stewart car or uh, from the old days you know or even a item senna car from 91 uh they're a lot more analog and and nowadays software is a big part of it especially as soon as the hybrid comes in we we were just saying before you joined the call, we were saying it was the Le Mans Classic at the weekend just gone, and we were we were just saying just the, the difference between the cars now and the cars of even twenty years ago in the Masters historic racing, the the cars you used to drive the Rebellion uh, Lolas in two thousand and ten two thousand and eleven, just how different they are to cars now. And we only talked that's only twelve years ago. Um, some of the some of the and then you compare them to some of the 80s group c cars and yeah it's it's just phenomenal how how far we've come in such a short period of time and what what's it going to look like in 30 years what's what's another 30 years going to look like i i always think about you know uh uh jackie x you know he drove in the 60s formula one cars yeah and now the cars he sees now, imagine the evolution of race cars, for example, he has seen. I mean, we don't even talk about Hans Hermann, who is also still alive. Right? Yeah. I mean, imagine what they have seen. And now think what we maybe can see. I think it's quite exciting to know that, you know, what we can still experience in racing, maybe not anymore fully actively by driving, but in terms of development. And and if it's the same direction, who knows? But I I think it's it's in that way, future is still very exciting. And what what are you looking forward to in the future? What's your what's what's the thing you're looking forward to the most in your motorsport career? Well, to be honest, uh, it's Daytona. No, Daytona is the only race I'm missing to win. After it, I have all the big uh, prototype races, you know, Le Mans, the championship, uh, world championship, uh, Sebring, Petit Le Mans, uh, whatever. I have have all. Daytona is really the only one that I'm missing. And, you know, if if I can say it's I have a goal, then that would be it. 
Uh, I know it will be it's difficult, the same thing. Yeah, you need the, your luck. Uh, we know American racing also is. It's not always easy. Um, so from that point of view, uh, I will give it a shot. Uh, let's see if it's with Proton next year. It's not yet decided. But uh, yeah, that, that is one of the aims for me also for next year. And that's something I'm clearly looking forward to. What about the GT 24 hours Spa, Nebeg ring? I have no interest. To be honest. Not because, you know, it's, I'm sure it's a lot of skill needed uh, to drive these races, but I've never had the interest in, in, this, in this GT3 world. Uh, my interest was always limited because I've driven once on these Pirelli tires or whatever they were and... Uh, I mean, with these tires, it's just frustrating because I'm coming from a different point of view and uh, I'm used to driving a car differently. I want to drive it like a go-kart and go at yeah. it. Um, so for me, you know, hats off to the guys who are quick on those cars because it's super hard. But I wouldn't find a motivation or a challenge at the moment to to do it because it's just yeah my interest is limited how how did that compare to the to the to the rsr because the, i guess the rsr you can see it's just a prototype dressed up in a gt skin and that was i guess that was kind of the same with the the, the martech ford as well just a prototype dressed up in a, in a in a gt frock how did you struggle to stay motivated in the rsr program or or was 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 that a bit different not so the the Ford at the time was also was I was like well okay I had some good qualities qualifying in the top three and so on but it was nothing that like took me off my feet yeah but the RSR I have to say that was a fun car because first of all the sound yeah oh yeah I I, I like sounds in racing cars <laughs> for me that's emotion. Yeah. Whatever you you say, the sound is a big emotion for me. And the well, RSR was great. The, the Ford wasn't a bad sounding car. Yeah. But the RSR was special. The, <laughs> the, the, the RSR was better. So yeah. It's the next level. So like the Aston Martin, we had engine in the Rebellion in 2010 or 11. I oh, yeah, the, the, the V12, yeah, 2010. So, that was a 2009, sorry, 2010, I think. Hey, that was a proper sounding engine. Anyway, um, but the RSR, you know, when you had um, not too hot weather and uh, with a good set of tires, you could still push the car and you could go at it. I mean, you felt the weight and everything, but you could drive it with a certain dynamic. And that was nice. I, I, I still enjoyed that uh, in, in, a, in a way from a driving point of view. Uh, but it's clear... Um, that obviously I missed the amount of error, you know, when you can just go through a corner uh, and, and carry that speed. Uh, that was still a different level of fun. But uh, I'm very happy I could experience the RSR, first of all, because it's a legend in itself. Yeah. Um, but second of all, um, it did give me, it did show me that a GT car can be a GTLM car can be a lot of fun to drive, but a GT3 car is a lot different 
for me. Yeah. It's, there's a big difference in driving. You feel it. Not necessarily in lap time, it's not crazy, but the approach you drive it and with the tire management you have to drive it and so on, um, it's a big difference. And uh, Marcel Fastler once told me, because he's after LMP1 exit in 2016, he did some GT Road Challenge or stuff like that with the R8, and he said, no interest anymore. That's when he knew he wants to stop. He did, still did the Corvette, though, afterwards yep. in the GTLM, and he said, that is fun. But the GT3, no interest for him. That's the same thing. Once you've driven cars with that amount of grip, and you go back, that's like driving a... Yeah. Uh, Sound, no, that sounds a little bit bad when you say it's like a rental car on bad tires because it's not a <laughs> rental car. They don't mean it like that. But it's just like, you know, it's like it feels different. I think, final one for us, but I think at, at, at the minute, the Porsche with the GT cars, they are smashing it out the park. But I, I was lucky enough to drive, and I'm sure you've driven one of GT3 RS around Silverstone a few, uh, a, a few weeks ago. And what a car! What what a car! Have you have you managed to get your hands on one yet? Uh, it should come hopefully soon. <laughs> Let's see. It's still delayed, but uh, yeah. But you know, in the end, the road car. I mean, the the, the new GTRS is amazing for a road car. It's I mean, to make this street legal was the hardest thing as as I heard. <laughs> And um, I've spoken quite a bit with Jörg uh, Bergmeister, who was also one of the masterminds in that car. Uh, and uh, incredible car, no doubt. But, you know, nothing replaces a race car with a proper set of slicks. Um, full stop. Yeah. Yes, definitely. The GT2 RS is, uh, is coming soon. Well, it seems to be. So, no, well... Thank you very much for your time. We won't keep you any longer. Um, thank you very much for your time. We hope you have the best season with Duquesne, with Proton. We wish you we wish you all the best. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get you we see you on that top step of the podium again. Yeah, well, most probably not in Monza, but uh, let's see uh, if what we can achieve. <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll be watching you very thank closely you. to see how you're getting on. So now, thank you very much for your time, and you take care. Thank you. Have a good day. Ciao, bye. Bye. So that was Neil. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you, Neil. I'm, I'm sure you're listening. We found Rick. Thank you, Neil. Say hi, Rick. <laughs> ah, that was, with the, yeah, hi, Rick. So call the search party. I'll still where we found him. Yeah, he is we here. found Rick. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, everybody. He is Steve Stone is way back from... Steve Stone is way back from Le Mans four weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> I did Still. see him post on I did see him post on Facebook the other day. I think he might have been today actually annoyed as usual about height restrictions <laughs> in, <laughs> in service stations in, in service stations in France. So presumably he's run out of petrol. He's run out of coal. Oh, he's run out of fuel at a service station that you can't get fuel from because his motor up's too high. <laughs> <laughs> he's not coming home, is he? <laughs> Make it up. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that was. Uh, thank you very much to Neil. Um, I found another fact, and it's actually uh, I actually found this out yesterday, Rick. And it's about. Mm-hmm. Amst- it's about um, Holland. No, again. 
it's it's with about, speed cameras? No, no, no. It's better than that. You sure it's, it's not about Belgium? It's about Holland. Um, okay. Apparently, seventy percent of people who live in Holland have slept with a lady of the night. Or have who is? Utilized a, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Seventy percent of people in in Holland have uh, have made. Made use of with, the services of. Um... Made use of the services. Yes. What's the number in? Because this is just a number. <laughs> what are the numbers? Like age, age is just a number. And how is it for people that live in Amsterdam? That's it. Might, might be even more. Uh... <laughs> TF uh, TF Sport to run Corvette, aren't they? Yes. Are they switching to Corvette? I didn't oh. read that. They are. Moving Please go in. ahead. Yes. So that you'd imagine that Mr. Keating is going to be part of that lineup in some way, shape, or form. You would think that's a fairly safe thing to say. And I would imagine that a lot of the money's possibly coming from Mr. Keating but, as well. But, but I still think he'll go to the the Ford. Do you think being a Ford dealer? Just a. Th- I asked him and he didn't say anything. So he didn't deny it. When I said, oh, we'll see Hmm. you in the new GT3. Um, He didn't say yes, though. He didn't say yes, but he didn't say no. He didn't say no, it's Corvette. Some more news. Team Project 1, new lineup from from Monza. I think that one kind of slipped through the net. Um, The... Matteo Cairoli is joined by Gilherm de Oliveira and Ephraim Castro. I don't know who that man is, but I suspect he <laughs> may be. That is the relative of one Fidel Castro. Anyway. One um, Fidel Castro? One Fidel Castro. As in like one comma Fidel Castro. Okay. Um I think that's 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 really that's really all the news. The BOP is a big thing. Oh, and the results of the that's another thing. The results of the WEC fan survey came in and have been published. Apparently, oh, that was today, that, wasn't it? I looked at that. That was that was today, hot off the press at two o'clock. Um, apparently, a, res, a resounding popularity for hydrogen cars at Le Mans. Hydrogen? Hydrogen cars, yes. Yes, 70% of people are in agreement that hydrogen is will be welcome at Le Mans. I think because the other alternative is electricity, and electric cars don't make sound. And I think hydrogen, well, hydrogen cars don't make a real sound either, but... More than they make more of a sound than an electric. More car. of a sound than an electric car. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm still I, not sure if petrol cars will ever disappear from a racetrack, but no, you know. No, but I um, I came across uh, 
a stat of uh, only endurance today credits to them uh who listed the f- <coughs> fastest average driving times for at Le Mans. and i think in the top five were two of the current wrt drivers in lmp2 category robin Frines and i think i can't find it now but um there was another one so i think we can fill robin Frines in uh has a long history with wrt as well um well the drivers rick who were driving at aragon were jesse crone maxim martin of course uh sheldon van der linde Dries Van Thuer, Dries Van Thor, how do you, how do you say it? Yeah. Uh, Dries. Dries Van Thor. Yeah, so the, so these are the, like r- the regular WRT drivers in uh, the GT yep. World Challenge. Then they had um, Dan Harper, BMW factory driver, and Max Hess, another BMW factory driver. So, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's... Uh, you presume that those if they wouldn't be driving the car now, would they? If they and wasting time in the car if they weren't being considered for next year. So so yes. So tell me what you think, guys, of the balance of performance change. I know we glanced over it quickly and we made a joke about it, but yeah. So thoughts. I think I think because there were a couple of odd changes, um, and it would be nice if I had them in front of me, but I wasn't prepared that well. But would you, like um, to, would, would you like to know them? Yes. Okay. So, I think the Ferrari has been hit the hardest. Um, the Cadillac, uh, the to- sorry, the Toyota's got away the lightest. Um, and Peugeot was hit as well, right? Pe- yes, Peugeot was. Um, was was hit um, bizarrely. So your balance of performance is as follows. So we've got Cadillac minus fourteen kilos, minus fo- minus fifteen kilowatts, minus fifteen megajoules. Ferrari plus five kilograms, minus twelve kilowatts. Minus eight megajoules stint energy. Glickenhaus have more energy during stint. Peugeot plus four kg, plus four kilowatts, plus four plus six megajoules of energy. Porsche one kilogram of uh, of weight. It's not really gonna. That's that's yeah. That's, that's not gonna that's make a, a difference. A, that's someone's lunch. That. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what happens drinking now? Ten <laughs> minus ten kilowatts of power and minus eleven megajoules of energy. And Toyota. <laughs> Just minus five kilowatts of energy, and then Van Wall, oh, they'll, they'll still be fighting with LMP2. So, um, and then Monza, very much the same, and Bahrain, very much the same as well. It's a, it's. I think, yeah, I personally think that they are trying to keep appease Toyota. Yeah. While you didn't, you didn't win Le Mans, but. There's the championship instead. <clears throat> yeah, which is weird because if they if they showed some backbone, they would have seen that 
in my opinion, the balance of performance was exact was spot on for Le Mans. It was. It was maybe because maybe. if if yeah. if uh, Hirakawa didn't crash his car in uh, the twenty third hour or twenty second hour, he would have been right on the tail of the Ferrari, if not over it, and they still would have won it. And maybe we we would have had a uh, what was it Audi Peugeot finish like in twenty eleven. 2011 with only 13 seconds in between that would would have well been possible and isn't that what isn't that exactly what you want and yeah, you want close racing yeah you want close racing and this this was this i think I, like i said i think it was spot on at le mans and i think it was um if you if you if you look further and let's I don't know if this is true because on, and we'll talk about the other side as well. Um, but um, let's assume, I don't think they did it, but let's assume they did this to please Toyota. Why would they still please Toyota? We have a 13-car a, a, a hypercar field now. Alpine and Lamborghini will join next year. There are a lot of manufacturers that are thinking about it. Rumor, rumors are going through. I hear things in the grapevine, blah, blah, blah. It will not stop with Alpine and Lamborghini. Um, more customer cars are possible to enter. So why would you want to please Toyota? I, 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 don't, I don't really get that argument. So I don't think... So I don't think that it has been done to please Toyota. No. But what it might be is that it looks strange, but what they plead, how the balance of performance is set, actually makes them do this to keep it as close as it was in Le Mans, at Monza, Bahrain, and Fuji. And I hope it's that. Yeah. Because they're all reasonably high-speed tracks with yep. not yep. a massive amount of corners. Well, taxi corners. Um, but, yeah, I think I think you're right, Rick. I think they can't be seen to favour a manufacturer because that's, that's not sporting jap. Um, no, and if it ever comes out, then you'll, you'll prevent... You'll, yeah, you'll, you'll, just... you'll scare away all other manufacturers that are now looking at your class to enter yeah no i think they've they've it's the first year of these cars with this technology and etc etc so they've got to move it around a bit and try and get it get everyone's cars working well not working the same but doing the yeah. same similar lap time so you've got that close racing that everybody wants what was your fun so, fact my fun fact <clears throat> you may not believe this no. <laughs> I, don't. I never believe the fun fact. Especially if it's a Harry fun fact. <laughs> so, you know, there's the statue of David in Italy. Yep. The penis is shrinking. No. <laughs> is it because of temperature? <laughs> you don't oh, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> anyway, Ricky's back. Oh, no. So... Climate change isn't that bad after all. He's too cold. 
<laughs> oh no, he didn't. So what uh, else do we have then? I was. Uh, st I'm still with David. Where? <laughs> Um, on the mind, Rick. Do you know a fun fact? I do have a fun fact, and it's actually about pasta. <laughs> okay. Uh, not many of you know that I studied Chinese uh, for four years, actually. And Ni hao. did you know? Konnichiwa. That's, that's Japanese. That's Japanese. Hi, but pasta uh, originates and was first eaten in China. Um, so the noodles, cute balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the first reports of pasta were um, from China uh, as early as oh. 5000 BC. Right, that, mm. must, that, that must be hard pasta now. <laughs> yeah, if it's that old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, 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 well, it was a pasta fact. It's actually true. Interesting. Another fact as well is that even within our own little establishment at Prescott Motorsport, we don't have any friends because we did invite all the other nine people involved yes. in the podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the harshest thing is probably that I just logged into Slack on my PC and I actually see Steve online. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's still what... waiting at the petrol station. <laughs> 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 jammed under the canopy of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that yeah. scene out of Austin Powers where he's going, ding, ding, So I'd like, I'd like to get Rick's take on uh, track limits because we talked about that before you spoke to Neil Yarny. Oh, we did, yes, yes. So, <clears throat> So, Rick, over to you on track limits at um, Spielberg, A2 ring, Red Bull ring, whatever you want to call it, ring. Um, if you watched the race. I hate it. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, well, uh, no, actually, I uh, didn't watch it completely because I had a couple of kids jumping around. But... Um, um, as these are the rules so it's very simple don't cross the line if you cross the line you cross the line you get your you get a track limit warning um if you because max Verstappen had his argument that yeah with these speeds uh you can't uh, stay within the track limits all the time this you is, should drive just a tad slower so you yeah. can stay within the lines. It's this, that this is, simple. This is what me and Adam said. We're in Max's car. Max is going around that corner at like 170 mile an hour. And me and Adam are in the car going around the corner at like 50 mile an hour. Then mm. we're not going to cross the white line, are we? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you don't we, do it in a public road. You don't do it in the track. Yeah. You're in more control of the car. Yeah. And 
why isn't this a problem in Monaco, where there, are, where there's actually a wall if you cross the white line? Nobody crosses the white line there. Well, yeah. some do, repeatedly. That's true. Uh, but at least they learn not to do it anymore. Mm. So why is this? I, I don't see why. There seems to be very specific, problem. specific to that track as well. On that call. Yeah, I think there are a couple. Kota uh, has one as well. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's like 17 acres of runoff. Yeah. You can drive uh, straight on through the yeah, chicane so section. What, watching yeah. IndyCar is embarrassing when they're like 80 meters off the track. Yeah, <laughs> Paul Ricard obviously is one. Yes. Silverstone. <laughs> I but didn't I that hope. have? Because I think it's already different when the when right next to the runoff there's grass. Yeah. And for example, in Mon, well, I think in Monza that they have uh, uh, paved a couple of uh, runoffs as well, but uh, most of them are still grass and gravel. You don't have the problem there. No. There you have the problem with the sausages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that if you cross them, uh, your car gets uh, catapulted. <laughs> and disassembled. Yeah. Which which actually, uh, uh, if if we look at last year's race, mm-hmm. back at last year's race, the crash of... Uh, was TF it Chavez? Sport. Chavez? It was a TF Sport. The TF Sport, Aston Martin. Yeah, yeah it was Keating's car, but I think yeah. it was Chavez in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually um, um, a weird thing that these sausages still exist in the places that they were put in Monza. If you realize that a year before in the GT World Challenge, uh, also in Italy, but at... Um, Adria Raceway, I think, where the GT World Challenge uh, goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, I think Adrian Delaner actually broke his back by going over a sausage too hard. He literally broke one or two vertebrae in his back by yes. just going over those things. It's not just that, is it? You had, that, you had the, the Formula 3 car at Monza a few years ago that was catapulting over the catch fence. Nearly took a marshal's head off. Yeah, I think someone was saying um, after the race on on Sunday, the sausage curves are banned from F one by the FIA. Yeah, so why only the F one? Because GT cars and um... I think you you look at the GT cars; they've got a bit more play in them, haven't they? They've got the, the ride height of the Formula One, and yeah, they've got a bit more giving a suspension. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, the I, but are, I would go with you sitting yeah. on the floor. Yeah. I would go with you on that if the laner, the leaner in your accent, uh, if the leaner didn't broke his back in a Porsche 911 GT3. Yeah. I think I, I think after the weekend, I think circuit safety and how they do things, I think it it has to, they have to take a, a serious look about how they do things now. That's somebody, yep. Delana Ten Hoft, he's sadly, sadly died at the weekend and um, too many people are dying in motor racing. That's that's on the same stretch of track in three years, two four years. Two people have died. <laughs> Misano, people, it was um, Misano, by the way. 
Sorry. It was <laughs> just, re- just remembered. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, yeah, countless accidents. Yeah, countless accidents. There were some big, big crashes at Rouge and Radion in the World Endurance Championship. There were some big crashes at the, uh, the, the huge crash for the. Uh, well, I don't know if you if if you noticed the the crash that we had last weekend at Spa. You didn't hear about that? that? The, yeah. was, that the, was that the, the Dutch one driver that... that died? Yeah, that was on the straight, though. Was yeah, it was on the Camel straight, but the accident actually happened on top of Radion. Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's he, what, that's uh, what I was he, talking about there. That's, yeah. that's what I was just saying. He, there. he slid onto Camel straight and was uh, hit midship uh, on, at full speed. So there are a lot of voices going out uh, now we really have to change spa, but this this could have happened on any track with rain. Yeah, yeah. If you, however safe they try and make the cars, there's always going to be a weak spot. Or yeah. even going back to Alan Simonson's crash at Le Mans, it looked completely innocuous. Yeah, to anyone looking at it. And unfortunately, he died from it. So, yeah. And I remember one at uh, Macau, mm-hmm. where a, a touring car just—this uh, was like six or seven years ago—a touring car at, at that fast straight. But he was just—he would just ran a little bit wide, hit the barrier, not too hard. Guy died. Yeah. So these things happen. Um. Yes, it, it is very unfortunate, but I think the safety that is in motorsport these days is obviously considerably be better than it was even in the 90s. Yep. Um, and thankfully, we don't hear of motorsport deaths a lot now. Um, it, it, it's gone from being a regular occurrence to yep. once, twice a season, which is good. But I, I think you're never going to stop it, just due to the nature of motorsport. No. I don't know if, I don't know if you saw at the weekend um, Simon Pagano's crash at Mid Ohio. Mm. Yeah, he that made a, a monster I don't know. crash. Yeah. Monster. I don't know how to count those many rolls. It was like Fernando Alonso's, wasn't it? Fernando Alonso's in 2013, was it? In uh, Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Huge crash. He was lucky to yeah. walk away from that. Yeah, yeah. And Kubica at uh, Montreal. Yeah. yeah. Massive. Walks yeah. with a broken ankle. He got lucky there, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, they're numerous. But... Uh... So, yeah. So, looking forward then. Yes, we have Monza think... coming up. Well, actually, sorry. Sorry, no. No, one more thing, actually. One, one more, more thing. thing. I, wanted to... I wanted to mention something that Neil said. It was actually quite an interesting point. Neil actually. who? Neil, the Neil Yanni, would you know? Would you believe? Was he on the show? He was on the show the, today. Yes. Was the he Neil Yanni? The Neil Yanni, Le Mans hmm. winner. He he made an interesting point. He said in the podcast, and Adam, you know this because you listened to the full thing. But for your benefit, Rick. Hmm. For your benefit, Rick. Um, he said. The LM GT3 cars, he's tried the GT3 cars once or twice, and he said he has no interest in them. And he said, um, I said, so what about the GT car that you uh, that you drove at, 
uh, last year and the year before. Because the, the, the GTE cars are more like prototypes. You've got yeah. you've, you've got your, you've got your carb effectively your carbon tub, and you've got your your corners hanging off the tub. So it's more like a prototype with a body kit on. Yeah. Um, he said GT3 car. This is boring. Not not interested. Hmm. Would you? He says you've done Le Mans. You've won um, Sebring. You've won Petit Le Mans. You've won almost everything there is to win in the World Endurance Championship and the Championship. Spa 24, Nervé Green 24. Nah, not interested in. He, he he said there's a couple of drivers like that. He said Marcel, he, he named Marcel Fassler as one of them. He said he tried yep. after doing the, the LMP stuff and the LMP2 stuff, he went to, to do Audi in yeah, DTM. Yeah, DTM. DTM. And DTM. And he said, boring. But, but he boring. actually he <clears throat> I'm not I uh, somebody should fact check this, but I believe Marcel Fessler was has already been active in DTM, and then he went to Audi's LMP1 yes. program, and then he went back to DTM. Correct, yes, Mas- yeah, but those again, those DTM cars that were that were like that in the past, they were yeah. like prototypes. They were yeah. carbon to carbon tubs again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tab- I've done a uh, horsepower of the eight. Yeah, we had them yearly in. Um, in Zandvoort, and I've uh, followed DTM for Prescott for a while. Um, it was it. It were amazing cars. They were f- yeah. way faster than GT3s. Massively. Um, yeah. More power, more technologically advanced, uh, especially at the 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 pinnacle of the series when Audi, Mercedes and bmw uh we're all maxing out their budgets just to get a regional title a regional touring car it had nothing to do with touring cars anymore but um yeah. they were actually uh i i think they're best compared with the gtes just with a different body type uh saloons instead of, instead of uh, gts but um yeah, it was so, it was I thought it was an amazing series. I, I was really bummed out when they when they quit. Yeah. Opal as well, don't forget Opal. So <clears throat> what Neil said got me thinking. He's not interested. Marcel Fesler's not interested. Who's gonna be interested in GT three drivers? You're gonna get, you know, there'll be some big GT three name drivers, but where's all the current crop of GT drivers gonna go? I think where's, I think I think that most that that a lot of GT3 drivers that are now solely GT3 GT3 drivers uh, are very much underestimated. If uh, because um, nowadays, uh, uh, besides uh, the WEC, I also do the GT World Challenge, and there, like, there are so many talented drivers there. I would, and if you take a look at um, performances at um, at the twenty four hours of Spa last weekend was amazing. Like I think, like ten different cars led. Um, it, it, it the the field is so close together um, in terms of cars, but also in terms of drivers. Um, 
I think any uh, GT3 driver from the top ranks is interested in driving a GT3 car at Le Mans. And uh, I think they'd fit right in. Uh, yeah. Mm, yes, possibly. I don't. I don't know um, on that. Neil Neil did say that going from an LMP car to a GT3 car is is fairly simple. But yep. the other way is the other way is is difficult. He did something interesting that that, that he did say was he drove the Martech Ford GT in the world in uh, in the world GT1 championship, and he did say that car was. It wasn't a challenge to drive. He said you, the thing that was the challenge was the tyres, but because the because two laps and the tyres were gone, and then you had to manage the tyres. He says at the minute you know, you've got the Pirelli tyres for the GT cars, and they're just they're just there's, there's not a challenge there. Yeah. Um, it's like driving on. He said it was like driving on rocks. So interesting. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out next yeah. year. But you, can, and, you, can, you, can, you can guarantee you're going to have BMW in the series, you're going to have Audi in the series, you'll have Lamborghini, you'll have um, Porsche, certainly, Aston Martin, yeah. you've got Corvette and Ford. I'm not the, sure about Aston Martin, by the way, but if you see the TF Sport <clears throat> um, yep, so we, yeah, we, we said to, we, uh, we said that earlier, didn't we? We said TF Sport yeah. switched to the uh, the, the they sw- so. switched to Chevrolet, yeah. And uh, I haven't seen anything um, GT3 related from Aston Martin lately. In the GT World Challenge, uh, Garage 59 that drove the Astons for a long time switched to McLaren. Um, I'm not sure if there even was an Aston Martin on the grid this year at the 24 hours of spa. Don't know. Um, don't know. Sorry? I, I don't know, but I don't recall seeing one. Um, but interestingly, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there was like one. McLaren, yeah. McLaren have just brought out the new seven, not the 720S, the 760S, yeah. is it? So no doubt that'll be changed into a GT3 car. So it will be fascinating. You can you can just copy paste the the the, the GT World Challenge entry list. So <laughs> Mercedes is a big one. Mercedes will definitely be there. Yeah. I can't imagine after their successes they they achieved with their AMG that they won't field that car at Le Mans if they have a chance of winning. I, I think where's the, the pedigree though? Is what's Mercedes done recently? For the for, for the spot, I think they've, they've said, is it sixteen cars, sixteen uh, LMGT three cars in the uh, in the in, in the series? You can't look past BMW and Lamborghini because they've got cars no. in the in the series mm-hmm. already. Audi have said they've, they've got four customers wanting to come to them. Yep. They've got Ferrari. You can't look past Ferrari. They'll, nope. they'll certainly have two cars on the grid. Porsche, yep. Porsche, Porsche will have two cars on the grid. Chevrolet. Um, uh, yeah, and Ford. So there's another four cars on the grid. So who was that last team going to be? You know, is that it, is, is is that last team going to be? Oh, there was one Aston Martin, by the way, at Spa. Um, yeah, yeah, who's, yeah. Who's, who, who's that last team going to be? You know, you've got for that last space, you've got McLaren, uh, Mercedes, you've got um, Audi, and you've got. Uh, well, I already said Lamborghini, didn't I? So you've got three teams all. Going out for that last spot. Yeah. Um, Interesting to see what happens, but 
I guess. Would be interesting to see um, McLaren back at Le Mans, of course, with their history there. Um, but they're now like Optimum does a Optimum Motorsport has uh, the McLaren and yes. Inception. Uh, Wells are fielding McLarens. Yeah, Garage Fifty Nine. They have uh, a lot of experience, but only in GT racing. Not they have the twenty four hour experience, just not at Le Mans, I think. Right? Did they do Le Mans? Garage Something 50. says they did. Something yeah. tells me they yeah, did, they did once, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but I don't know. And maybe uh, we'll see uh, four extra garages next year uh, when we arrive at Le Mans. You never know. Yeah, so five confirmed. BMW, Corvette, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche confirmed. Aston Martin, Ford, McLaren, Mercedes. Um, subject to securing the slots from the WEC yeah. selection committee. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, anyway. Moving on to Monza then. That's I, I do want to highlight to... one last thing. Oh, I'd like I want to highlight one last well. thing about Spa. Ooh. Yeah, go. Nicky Katzberg, yeah. Ben Keating's teammate, yes. has this year won 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Yes. Won the 24 hours of Le Mans. Yes. And he won the 24 hours of Spa in his category. What a guy. Unbelievable. I thought it was unbelievable. <laughs> He's won all the big 24-hour races this year. And what, while we're talking about big 24-hour races, the Nürburgring 24 um, is now part of the Intercontinental GT Challenge. Yeah, that's uh, is, they announced the a couple SRO. of things at the yep under SRO rules. rules. SRO had a couple of news facts uh, in their press conference at Spa. Uh, I remember that was one other thing I found interesting. It's a bit beside the... Um... Oh, yeah. Uh, the <coughs> GT World Challenge Europe is going to Jeddah. Yeah, that's, that's not very interesting. In Saudi Arabia. Challenge Europe is going to Jeddah. Yeah, exactly what I thought. It's like the British GT is going to Spa. That's like it's like the Champions League final being played in America, Saudi Arabia, Moscow. Moscow. Well, yeah, but then again, technically Moscow was part of UEFA. So, when was the last time a Dutch team? Out of curiosity, when was the last time a Dutch team won the Champions League? Uh, it was Ajax in ninety. 90- that recently that recently and it was the fourth time aren't you a Tottenham fan aren't you a Tottenham fan no no no, I'm a a Hull City fan Hull City Hull City who was a Tottenham fan anyway big huge huge news this is the last thing because the other the the other major 24 hour race was raced just a few weeks ago the Citroen C1, 24 hours of Silverstone. <laughs> no. Yep. It, it sounds a bit like the, the w, VW uh, Fun Cup, 24 hours of spa, 25 hours of spa. <laughs> yep. 
So the 20, 20, the 24 hours of Silverstone, yeah. Citroen C1s, and I don't know who won it, but it was but one. That, that it was takes, a Citroen C1. The, a Citroen it, C1 won. But that, that race should take like 36 hours, right? It takes a long time in a C1. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was uh, still a marshal at Zandvoort, they had um, the Seat Ibiza diesel endurance. Diesel. Oh, they've, got, they've, they've got all sorts. It was terrible. Those, got, <laughs> it was so terrible. You have missed missed the um, the best twenty four hour race. Is it the Fun Cup? No, it is not. No. It is the two CV twenty four hour race run at Snetterton. No. Imagine yes. you marshalling that. Fuck. Oh wow, that would be that would be so <laughs> shit. It first yes. took place. I'm gonna, it's probably in November you. or in February or something. Uh, it, it, when's it? It's August. It's run. August. So it's still to come. But it, it was first run at Mandelo Park. Where's that, Rick? Mandelo Park. Yep. I don't know, Scotland or something. Well, close. It's Ireland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, my, my, I'm, I'm pretty okay with top, topography. Is that how you call it? Topography, yes. Yeah. Uh, except Very like good. the British Isles are like a blind spot for me. <laughs> I don't know why. I know where London is, but that's about it. I don't know where <laughs> Sussex and Cambridge and Liverpool <laughs> and Manchester are. I don't know. I, it's I, it's, it's in, really weird. because not in Europe anymore, so you don't need to know. Yeah, that's true as well. We will be back though. So, ones are then. Final fact: oh, the final fastest, fact. the fastest lap, um, in, in the two CV race. This is was in two thousand and three by Ben Collins. Oh, I thought you were going to say Adam Steve. Prescott, but no. <laughs> Here's what I found: hmm. the stick. So the stick. So, Monza then, what are we expecting? I can tell you something we're not expecting. Rain. Neil Yarny to win. <laughs> rain. <laughs> said, and, and rain. He said that himself on the podcast, exclusive here. The, the final time he's talking to the media before his race. Ooh. Is mm. us. Okay. This podcast channel of many millions of listeners yeah. around the world. Uh, millions of listeners. There's actually a Dutch podcast that does this all the time. <laughs> Welcome back, millions of listeners around the world. And they have like 500 or something. <laughs> so, Proton, he was saying they've, they've taken delivery of the car last week. Mm -hmm. And they, they haven't even had a time to, to shake the car down. No. He's done a couple of installation laps at... Um, An airfield. What's the fourth track? No, the Porsche track. What's that called? It's not English. Weissach. Weissach. So a couple of installation laps at Weissach. Um, not by any of the Proton drivers. By some Porsche factory drivers. Probably, Probably a mechanic or something. The valet car, park, <laughs> car parking person. You quit it's too it. early, Harry. You quit too early. You could have shaken down the 963. Uh, if only. Um, and, yeah, I think... Toyota are going to win now. I think we don't even need to do these preview podcasts anymore because Toyota is just going to win the rest of the season now with the balance of performance changes. Um, I want to see Ferrari win. 
uh, yeah, and um, I'm I'm actually not sure because uh, they can't. If there's one track where they can't please Toyota by cutting down Ferrari, it's Monza, because I read that in the week uh, after Le Mans, ticket sales for the six-hour race were up by 500%. So it might be as busy as uh, a Formula One race there. So that's like 600 um, people going then. What? So that's like 600 people going then. Uh, uh, 60,000, I think. No, the, 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 the ticket prices went through the roof after... Uh, um, and if we if we take a look at the uh, cut down that Ferrari had, they only had five kilograms of weight added, which is not that much. What did uh, Ben say about uh, how much ten kilograms of weight cost at Le Mans? I think he said three seconds. Yeah. Okay. So. This track is like a third of Le Mans. So it'll be about one second. And then it's also half the weight. So let's say five tenths in a GT, which might be one or two tenths in a hypercar. Uh, and like eight eight kilojoules, eight mega uh, sorry, eight megajoules of stint energy and twelve kilowatt of power. Ooh. It it isn't that much. It's and 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 uh, uh, Toyota is got five kilowatts as well. So it's only seven kilowatts of power that they're that it's they're not, down. Um, that's ten so, horsepower, though. Yeah. No, you'd, know, seven, you'd notice that seven seven. Yeah, seven kilowatts is about ten horsepower. No, sorry. Yeah, it's but it's uh, it's not uh, uh, um, it's not uh, kilowatts. They're cut. It's uh, kW, so uh, horsepower. Oh, okay. So yeah. So if if I lost seven horsepower, I'd no. No, of course, kW is. Ah, I'm mixing things up with Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, kilowatt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, electricity. Yeah, uh, seven kilowatts. Yeah, Which is so. like uh, two solar panels. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's 9.4 horsepower. So like I say, if me or Adam lost 9.4 horsepower, we'd notice it. Yeah, but these cars, if I wouldn't, because I have 353, and the difference between 353 and 345 isn't that much. Yes, but you've still... You'd, so I still yes. got my four-wheel drive. But if you're full throttle for like 80% of the lap, then 10 horsepower is like four seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same as that a, a, a beer at Le Mans cost 4 million euros. <laughs> it was 8 million euros. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I don't think... It's weird that they, that they cut Toyota the least, but if you take it at take a look at it from the other side um it's not that much of a change they're 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 
I think they're minor changes. The fine tuning. So I st I still think that both um, both Cadillac and um, Ferrari have a shot at uh, at winning, because um, Cadillac is actually like like forty kilos lighter than the Ferrari. Plus, um, they don't have the limit of uh, um, energy deployment because uh, Ferrari and Toyota can deploy their hybrid energy at 190 kilometers and Cadillac doesn't have that limitation. So, especially on a track like Monza where corners are w way slower than they are at um, uh, especially the first chicane and second chicane, of course, were way slower than the chicanes in Le Mans. Mm -hmm. So, I think Cadillac can be strong. Watch this space. I think, I think, um, <clears throat> Persia will be one to watch as well. We saw them come alive at Le Mans, and Monza is a very similar track to Le Mans. I have mm -hmm. said this though for the last two races. <laughs> yes, and me too, actually. But there's <laughs> but there's an additional argument now, again. Harry. Third time, to, third time lucky. There, there's an additional argument now because this will be the first track that they have experience at because they made their debut yes. last year at Monza. So they have experience here. It's not a first timer anymore. Yes. Yes. No. I would. I would agree with you there. It's, it's certainly something to. Certainly something to consider. I think. I think whichever we look at, it, I think it's it's going to be. Toyota. I want Persia to win, but I think it's going to be Toyota. They're going to be hungry after Le Mans. They need to extend that gap in the championship because the gap in the championship has come down quite quite significantly. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, they're, they're hungry. They're going to want to. They're going to want to show people that they're still the boss. Um, yeah. It'd be fascinating. I'd love to see Ferrari win in front of the Tifosi. Is the is the Ferrari fans for WEC? Are they still Tifosi, or are they just Ferrari fans, or Tifosi just? I think one? any Italian fan. I think they call them Tifosi at yeah. this, the football as well. Or do they? Okay, so the Tifosi. I'd love to see the Ferrari win at Monza. Because let's yeah. be honest, the F1 team ain't going to win at Monza. No, they're not going to win anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it is striking though that um, in any if you if you look at uh, the GT World Challenge, if you look at VEC, if you look at uh, in DTM as well, wherever you see a Ferrari winning, they have an excellent strategy. <laughs> the only place they can't get it to work is in F1. <laughs> but the, there is there is a common denominator there which is the F1 team is the only team that's run out of Ferrari the yeah. rest of them are run by AF Corsa yeah, yeah. This, AF Corsa was like a brother of Ferrari right he's, a, he's I think he's affiliated to the family or something there's something there like I, I think the F is for Ferrari I'm not yeah. sure though this might Amato, be yeah, just Amato, made Amato up Ferrari that's his, his name. It's a matter of Ferrari, is what AF yeah. stands for. So yeah. there'll be some affiliation there between the mafia or. <laughs> <laughs> God. 
<laughs> oh no, you're not going to Monza. No, but I no, am. Not all Italians are mafia members. Just the Sicilians. Yeah. Most of the Sicilians. <laughs> so, I've, I have a, a final fact to finish on. A final fact to finish on. That's good. We've, isn't not, it? we've not talked about LMP2 yet or PT. Uh, we've done an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. Let's just have a. What do you think on LMP2? Who's your winner at LMP2? Uh, it's going to be an Orica. <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting. What a funny guy! You've been waiting since we've started recording these podcasts to say that, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, that was just That's why you wanted to talk about LMP two. <laughs> it's going to be a WRT car. You think? Yes. Mm. I'm going for the Joda then. Yep. And, I am uh, going to go. Corvette's going to win GT. Corvette's going to win GT. Yep. And I'm going to go for the Iron. Uh, no, I can't remember what the car's called now. I'm going to go for Dorian Pan's car to win in. That's uh, the Prima, Prima LMP2. Prima LMP2. Because she did well at Spa, her car lasted three laps. Yep. Before it retired. Yeah, 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 yeah. Strong, <laughs> strong performance. Yes. Um, and then, yes, in GT Corvette. So. Go on, fun facts that Adam. Is, is it a fun fact it, it, or is it a, a fun finishing. fact to finish on? It's a fun fact to finish. <laughs> well, it's not a fun fact. It's a true real fact. Um, this will be only the fourth time that it is the six hours of Monza. Was it the one thousand kilometers of Monza it's before? It's been the one thousand kilometers. It was the obviously six hours in twenty twenty two when Alpine won, and twenty twenty one when Toyota won. And do you know when it was six hours before that? 1997. Nearly. 88. No, going the wrong way. 86. 85. 80. 80. Okay, so we're 80. quite away off then. And it was Alain de Cadenet and Desiree Wilson. Know them well. Yes. The, talk, talking about the Alpines, <laughs> when, you, when you just mentioned the Alpines there, the Alpine... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Alpine um, may join the IMSA GTP grid in the not too distant future. Yeah, they reckon it will be this year. Hmm. So because it's French and because they want to go to America, you can guarantee the car will get to the track and it will go on strike. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All the mechanics are gone strike, or, or <laughs> someone are gone strike. Yeah, possibly. So, yeah. So, Mons of the weekend then. Podcast. What next? Next week we'll get. We'll have a review show. Yes. Yep. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Okay. <laughs> see you after Monza. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, millions of people. You have been listening to a Prescott Motorsport production that actually went on far too long today. So, thank you for listening. Goodbye.